My goodness. Hey, once again, welcome to City Light Bennington. My name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad you're here with us, especially if you happen to be new this morning. Our church exists to multiply Jesus-centered, spirit-led disciples in Bennington and Northwest Omaha and beyond. Uh, but we're glad that you're considering being a part of that vision and that mission. Uh, today's Family Sunday, so we want to welcome the kiddos in the room. We love you, kiddos. We are glad that you are here. We consider it such a joy and a privilege that God would allow us as a spiritual family to invest in the next generation, that people that are young among us might love and follow and trust in Jesus. And one of the ways we can do that is once every, uh, every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month, we want to have kids in the room here with us. Uh, and we want to model to them singing to Jesus and listening to God's word and praying to Jesus. And so, kids, we're so glad you're here. If you brought your Bible, I want you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Uh, if you're new with us, we are working our way through the Gospel of John. It is an eyewitness account to the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the author, who is a dear friend and follower of Jesus, he tells us why he wrote the Gospel of John in John 20, 31. He says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you have life in Jesus' name today, can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Um, as you're getting there, I, I want you uh, to know we have physical copies of the Bible. So we've got some men coming down the aisles. If you would benefit from one in your hands, raise your hand. We'll give that to you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take it home. As you turn into John chapter 15, I want to take us back to my beginnings as a campus missionary right out of college, um, right after I graduated from the Northwest Missouri State University. Once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. Some of you are like, is that even a real institution? Yes, it is. Put some respect on it, all right? <laughs> Northwest Missouri State, uh, multiple D2 national champions. If Roy was here, he'd say, D what? Never heard of it. Um, it is what it is. We've had our conflicts there. Listen, I got out of college, and I had no uh, formal theological or biblical training, but I was in awe of Jesus. When I was a junior in college, Jesus had changed my life. And when I got out of school, um, some reason a church decided to hire me and to task me with being an evangelist to college students. And so um, there I was at the campus of UNO often evangelizing sharing my faith with strangers, inviting students into the gospel message, telling them God's got a bigger vision for your life and here's what Jesus has done and here's what he's done in my life. And I'm not gonna lie, there were some amazing memories over six, seven years doing that. Um, of just watching the Holy Spirit open someone's eyes within an hour conversation and draw them into his kingdom and watching students repent of their sin and say, I wanna follow Jesus. But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I carry a little bit of grief from those days. Still, at 30 years of age, these many years later, I have something that looms in my heart where I picture the, the faces of men and women who I talked to on the college campus who were really, really excited to follow Jesus. But there was something in them, I think, that didn't quite know yet what that would cost them in terms of their relationships. I remember sitting across the table from guys who I knew were athletes and they had a sports team that they were ingrained in and they didn't quite understand yet if they were going to live their life for Jesus, it was going to change the dynamic of those relationships. There were young men and women that I would talk to who 
Um, they knew sitting there at the table that the, the next best step for them would probably be not to be dating or chasing the person that they are because that person isn't born again. They don't love Jesus the way that this person is choosing to. And, and, and it was really hard. I, I would see a lot of people say, you know what, it's not, I'm not going to take that cost. Um, my wife, Kate, she was in sorority life at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She was Kappa Alpha Theta, and her freshman year went with the flow, and, and between her freshman and sophomore year, she gave her life to Jesus. And it totally changed the dynamic of her relationships with the women that were in her sorority. The truth is, being a disciple of Jesus comes with that kind of cost. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to teach his disciples in our text this morning. And I want to share with you the big idea of our text being about Jesus may bring about hate. The room just got really quiet. Being about Jesus may bring about hate. Here's a reminder of context. Jesus and his disciples are in this upper room. And this is Jesus' farewell discourse. It's a matter of hours, not days, hours at this point that he's going to be tried. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. And he's leaving his best friends with final instructions. Parting words. And here's what he says, pick it up with me in John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The day that K-Love Radio takes those verses and puts them to a song is the day Jesus has come home. Okay? He's taking us home. It's not so positive and encouraging. Jesus' words are literally, if you follow me, the world will hate you. First question we have to ask is, what exactly is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the world? What is the world? I want to let you know, church, in one sense, the world is what God made. It's good. God called it very good. It's the people and the places and the things that reflect his creation. It's everyone and everything that in any way reflects God's character. And this is not the world that Jesus is speaking of. The world that Jesus is speaking of is everything in God's good creation that's been corrupted and it's been broken and it's been redirected away from his goodwill and his design. It's basically humanity's effort to take all of God's creation, center it on us, and void it of him. The world that Jesus speaks in is basically the culture in which Christians live that is, by definition, godless. In the time that Jesus was saying this, it was the Jewish religious leaders that represented the world. In the disciples' time, it was the Roman Empire. And in every single era, it has taken a new form and been represented by new people groups and ideologies across the world. The world really is the prevailing mentality and practices and ideologies of unbelieving mankind that are set in opposition to God and his rule. That's it. And I want to show you on a slide briefly that that rebellion doesn't start somewhere but with someone. He is the enemy to God and his name is Satan. And in scripture we see a testament to him that he is called the God of this world. The commander of the powers of the unseen world, the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is the ruler of the world. He is the evil one in whose power the world lies. He is the father of lies, the great deceiver by whom the world is influenced. 
This is my story. This is our story, our reality from birth. And we may not have known it or admitted it, but before we've let Jesus run our life, we would call this world under its ruler and its influence our home. And by definition, we would be called worldly. Author Tolian Chavijan says, worldliness in simple terms is what makes the world's ways seem normal and God's ways seem strange. I'm not going to lie, there, there were times and there still are times in my life where the pull of worldliness is real. Where I look at Christians and go, Christians are really weird. And I look at the world and say, that seems really normal. But isn't there a time in our life where Jesus comes in and he begins to change our very worldview? He changes the way that we view people and relationships and material things. He changes the way that we view our heart and our mind. He changes the way we view our nature. He changes the way we view everything. And when you become a Christian and you start to be a disciple of Jesus, all of a sudden God's ways begin to seem normal. And the world's ways begin to seem really strange. Has that not been somebody's testimony? When God chooses to save someone, I just want to remind us of fundamental truth that Jesus wants to remind us of this morning. When he chooses to save somebody, something happens. The kingdom of God begins to be normal in that person's life. Let me just remind us. Let's not forget what we profess, church. In Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13. It says he has delivered us from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I just want to make it crystal clear. Church, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There is an inferior God of this world, and there is a superior, true, one supreme God of the world and of heaven. We have a choice, and the one whom we belong to is the latter. We love him. We know him. We trust him. We have an ongoing interactive relationship with him, and the prayer that Jesus calls us to pray in Matthew 6, indeed the prayer of City Light Bennington, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that this kingdom that we belong to, it's not a physical kingdom now. It's a spiritual kingdom in which God leads our hearts and our minds and our very lives. It's that that kingdom would invade and consume the kingdom of the world around us. Can anybody get excited about that? The kingdom of God is what Jesus tells us to seek first, and we will have nothing to worry about. This is the kingdom that we have been brought into as born Again, followers of Jesus. And so please, let me just reason with you this morning. What do you think you should expect if you don't belong to the world? If you don't think similarly, if you don't drink the cultural Kool-Aid, if you don't affirm, if you don't get in line, if you don't follow suit, if you don't fit in or belong, if you do not speak and live and make decisions and love in a way that a godless world would want you to, what should you expect? What should you expect if you have a life that models the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 12 too? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Church, the really hard truth this morning, look at the book. Look at Jesus' words. They're this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you, Christian, are not. You are not of the world. God says, I chose you out of the world. I have set you apart. I have called you into a new and everlasting kingdom. Therefore, the world may hate you. Jesus uses the word hate in Greek and Hebrew, or in Greek, excuse me. Uh, he uses the word hate eight times in this passage. And in Greek and Hebrew, when you do the research in scripture, this is what that word means. It means set against. It means intensely opposed. It means to detest. And here's ultimately what it means. It means to unlove. In other words, following Jesus will cost us the love of the world. Being about Jesus may bring about hate. Thank you, Roy, for giving me this passage on Family Sunday. Really appreciate this. Thank you. I want to turn our attention, though, now from the, the pain and the reality of that to the comfort that Jesus gives. I want to hearken back, and I, as I was praying, I just kept thinking about this experience I had back when I was doing campus ministry. And um, there are those students that I would sit across the table from who would say yes to Jesus, and they would count the cost in their relationships of following him, and they would pursue him and be faithful to him. Uh, some of those men are actually in our church today, which is amazing. Um, I think of two guys named Kyle and Adam who are here in our midst. They serve in our church. They give to our church. They're amazing um, city group leaders in our church. And I'll never forget one day I sat down with them, and, and I said, why don't we just make two lists? Um, they were young in their faith. They were just really starting to follow Jesus and say, what is a life following Jesus look like? And I said, let's make two lists. One list, we're going to say the cost of following him. So we're just going to take time now to sit and think about what is it going to cost you? What's it going to cost you socially? What's it going to cost you relationally? What's it going to cost you financially? What's it going to cost you to say, God, my life is yours? And we made that list, and y'all, it was a long list. But we did something right after that. We made another list that said, what is the cost of not following Jesus? And all we sat and did there for like 45 minutes was list every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. Like all of our inheritance in Jesus. Everything that we have that he provides that we don't earn from him, but by faith he gives to us. <laughs> and the list was like never ending. I think about some people in this room, you've experienced opposition to your faith. But you would say both literally and figuratively, I wouldn't trade Jesus for the world. May that be the testimony of our church. And may the words that Jesus are about to say right here comfort you. This is what he says in verse 21. All these things, all of them, they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. We've heard the phrase, it isn't personal, it's business. Sometimes in the Christian life, subliminally, it's going to be, it isn't personal, it's Jesus. We've heard the breakup phrase, it isn't you, it's me, right? Some of you are like, I didn't need you to uncover that wound. I'm so sorry this morning. In the Christian life, subliminally, it's it isn't you, it's Jesus. Here's what I mean. 
Nobody is going to oppose you, my friend, because you identify as a Christian or you go to church or you own a Bible or you pray. Trust me, nobody's concerned with that. It's certainly not because you've had more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. Like no coworker or classmate or anybody has ever filed a complaint against you because you've had the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, child of God, take heart. It's going to be on account of me. It's not going to be a rejection of you. It's going to be a rejection of me within you. It's going to be because your faith is not in a program or a religion or by some kind of association. Your faith is in a person. It's in me. You bear my name. You bear my likeness. You carry my cross. You walk in step with my spirit. The power of my kingdom is at work in you. You believe my promises Your everything is shaped by my word and my truth, and it's because my life is manifest in your life, and you actually live and think and speak and act as my disciple. That's what's going to bring heat. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, and the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, this is the verse, y'all, all who desire to get, live a godly life in, united to, belonging to Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Maybe you're somebody here this morning and you've felt your own pain of opposition. There's something in your past or present that has really opposed or pushed back to your discipleship of Jesus. There are wounds there. It hurts, and there are times right now where you want to give up, and you kind of want to go into hiding as a Christ follower. Like, well, I can kind of just blend in. It'll make my life a lot easier. I want to say to you, the author of Hebrews, the book that we just finished preaching, the author of Hebrews would say, you have no lasting city here. You seek the city that's to come. The author of Hebrews would look at you and say, you've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You run your race with perseverance. You fix your eyes on the founder and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Peter would say that the genuineness of your faith is being proven and that you have been counted worthy to suffer dishonor because you bear the name of Jesus. I want to say keep going, keep believing, and I want to remind you that God sees you. It doesn't matter what anybody else sees. God sees you and God is with you. To others in this room, we're going to shift the tide. I wonder if in our life we could examine if it's different enough, if our life is salty enough. As we're following Jesus and and being obedient to him, is there anything about our life that's drawing the attention of the world or do we so blend in that we've lost any flavor and Jesus might even call us useless? Author Richard Phillips poses a really profound question to us. If we were arrested today on the charge of discipleship to Jesus, would there be enough evidence to sustain the charge against us? Some of y'all, listen, I look back at my life and how many times do we consider just how worldly we can be? Like, I remember um, when I was a junior in college, I first started following Jesus and I started asking myself questions, getting hit daily with stuff like, man, um, if I'm going to like actually honor people the way that God has called me to, I probably shouldn't be judging and gossiping, condemning the way that I am. If I want to esteem and value women, 
then I should probably stop flirting with her and watching that. Um, the world would say that my money is what I've earned and I can do what I want with it. I can save and invest. And that right now, I, I can't afford to be charitable. I can't afford to be generous. And God of the universe would look at me and say, I've given you my son. I've been generous to you. You be generous. Uh, I think about when I was in college, and even today, it's like, man, I'm a part of the body of Christ. Like, that's what I believe and profess. And so I remember in college thinking I should probably get up and go to church. <laughs> I should probably serve. I should probably give. Uh, I remember thinking, man, there's a lot of great promises about the family of God and, and the mutual encouragement and the camaraderie that can happen when you have friends who walk with you in faith. Maybe I should show up to that Bible study. Maybe I should go to that, in our language, city group, that huddle. Uh, I remember starting to wrestle with things where the world would say this and this about gender issues. The world would say this and this about the covenant of marriage. The world would say this and that about life and it, when it begins and the value of it. And I would look at what God had to say about that and say, I'm going to have to disagree. Isn't it so like our life that there's never a day that can go by where we can't subtly think, man, I'm starting to like go back into just blending a little bit. I want to call our church to take up discipleship with Jesus and say, what about my life right now needs to be sanctified? What about my life right now, if God wants to change me, will make his ways seem increasingly normal and the world's ways seem increasingly strange? I want us to actually invite... I want to invite us to ask that question, church. Uh, maybe that's what you need to do when you leave here today, is say, the sermon's not done. I need to sit down and think about uh, how I'm blending with the world. Uh, Jesus would call you to say, you're not of the world. You don't belong to the world. And if you did, the world would love you. It's hard words from him. Um, I want to continue. I want to say to the person who is not yet a Christian in the room, maybe you came here today and uh, you got dragged here by a friend or you just have noticed this church in the area and you wanted to check it out, um, maybe God, you sense, is doing a new thing in your life right now, I am so glad you're here. I want you to know Jesus has something to say to you. It's in verses 22 through 24. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. What Jesus is saying here is that our guilt is compounded because he is God, he's made every appeal, he's taught every truth, he's worked every miracle, the evidence is right in front of us, and we've rejected him. It's Jesus this morning saying, I love you, and you saying, I don't love you. It's God saying, I've come to restore our relationship, and you saying, I don't want it. It's God saying, I can forgive your sin, and you saying, I don't really feel like I need that. It's God saying, I can make you new, and I know you, and I know what you need, and you say, yeah, but that's not what I want. It's God saying, I can make you free. I can set your feet with a new trajectory. I can give your life a new hope. I can usher you into eternity, and you said, no, you can't, and no, you won't. If that's you, I want you to know I've been there. I've had that posture time and time again, and God was not done with me. And I want you to know that God is not done with you. You can still repent of sin. 
you can still ask for forgiveness and Jesus will give it gladly. You can still come to him and bow your knee and surrender your life to him and say, you are God, I am not. Would you take my life? Would you make it new? Would you rewrite my story? Jesus would do it gladly. You can still believe today, my friend, in the good news that maybe you have previously rejected. I've been there. God has a bigger vision for your life. He wants to invite you into. And the current world that you are a part of is passing away. That's the warning of scripture. Jesus wants to give you abundant life. Jesus wants to bring healing and hope to your life. He wants to restore your identity. He wants to have an ongoing interactive relationship with you. He would say, what does it gain you? To, what does it profit you to gain the world but to lose your soul? Finally, I, I want to address all of us together, City Light Bennington. Heavy passage this morning. But I wrote a little something for you. Dear City Light Bennington, what this doesn't mean is that finding ways and looking for opportunities to draw the ire and hostility of non-Christians is some kind of badge of honor. Jesus himself said in verse 25 of our passage that he was hated without cause. Church, Jesus was loving, gracious, near to the brokenhearted, patient and kind, gentle and humble. He taught that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't arrogant or hypocritical. He spoke with truth and power and conviction, but with a loving desire to restore and heal and lift burdens and give rest. I believe Jesus would call us, church, to repentance if the attitude of our witness and our testimony isn't one of appeal and invitation and warmth, but one of barking and shaming, of demeaning and condescending. So if you are looking to be a social media comment warrior, or you've had a hundred people unfollow your Facebook feed just because you're a jerk, that's not what Jesus is talking about here in our passage. My prayer for us is to embody 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. City light, that word light, it's in our name. And that word light in scripture is in reference to the knowledge of the truth and to Jesus Christ himself. The light that came into the world. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is God. Jesus saves. Jesus redeems. And Jesus won't share his glory with anyone or anything else. Listen, that is our testimony as a church. And even against pushback in the world around us, it will never be in vain, ever. Our witness and our testimony to the saving work of Jesus Christ will not return void. The Spirit of God will always embody and empower the many ways that we speak and show the love of Jesus. Many will be saved. Many will be freed, many will be healed, many will find hope, many will be made new. Many will be reconciled to their creator with our witness. Look at Jesus' words in the last two verses of our passage, verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Church, it ain't about us. We are actually not the main character of our stories, and we are actually not the main character of the story of this church. Jesus is. This is his church, and it is his gospel message that we preach. The Apostle Paul, whom God used to snatch many from the grip of sin and death, knew something about the Holy Spirit's power in his witness when he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. He said, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use what? Lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He carried no other message. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian, you can too. Be about Jesus, even if it may bring about hate. God the Spirit will use your life and your witness to build his kingdom. And to the kids in the room. Kids, if you're a kid in the room, look at me. Kids, I know I lost you 35 minutes ago. (laughs) God loves you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to answer all your questions about life. God wants to help you. And even if following him means you don't always fit in or you don't always belong or you don't always agree with everything that your friends say, that is okay. God will protect you. He will make you strong. You love and you follow Jesus because he died on the cross to forgive your sin and he loves you forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the power of your truth. Thank you for your call to discipleship. Jesus, thank you for you. You are our blessed hope. Our life is in you. Our hope is in you. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for restoring us. And may we never trade the treasure that you are, holy God, for anything in this world. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen.